Turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 62 and Luke 18. Isaiah 62 and Luke 18, starting a new series uh, today. As you're turning there, let me just say a word to you about um, uh, deeper life. The discipleship classes we're going to start on Wednesday nights. This is, uh, this is, you know, for some time, many of you are aware, we've been working on how do, how do we set inside a discipleship process to take someone from a new believer in, into a mature believer. And uh, this is the first piece of the process. It's not, uh, it's not first in that it's the first thing you necessarily do, but it's the first thing that we were able to, to put in. So we're really starting a fall. It's time for another experiment. <laughs> this fall, starting September 1st, uh, we're going we're gonna to run this from September 1st till late into the fall, maybe, maybe just around Thanksgiving, somewhere in that time. We're going to see how it goes. And I like everything we do. It's an experiment. But the whole point of the Deeper Life classes is to add to, uh, in different subjects, and different areas, uh, in your spiritual life. It's not, those classes aren't about, you know, they're not how-to and they're not technique and they're not all those things. But they're spiritual life equipping. That's the deal. And you'll see how it's organized and laid out as we go through. But this week I had the opportunity to be with a, a, a former pastor who works with churches and who actually has uh, worked with, I don't know, probably uh, seven or eight hundred, maybe a thousand churches, Pentecostal churches. And I showed him what we're trying to do, although it's not done, it's just kind of in process. And I showed him what we were trying to work on and he looked at me and he said, he said, you know what, I don't know of a church in the country that's doing that right there. So what I want you to know is we're behind the scenes Pastor Mark is championing this. You know, it's going slow. But how many of you know when you do things right, it takes time? And it's coming, though. That We're pouring the footers. We're setting the foundation for, for that whole process. And I just want you to be encouraged. When, when, when we build this thing over a few years, I think you're going to see how it will grab onto someone's life and, and lead them into deep maturity in Christ. I mean, that's the deal, right? That's the, that's the thing. Lead us into deep maturity in Christ. So I, I can't tell you how excited I am. September 1st, deeper life classes. They'll start on, on that Wednesday night. We'll run it as an experiment. The classes will be two to four weeks each. Uh, you grab onto the thing. Here's the deal. Jesus didn't work his disciples through a curriculum. He didn't have a curriculum. He had himself. What he did is he incarnationally allowed the gospel to flow through himself in, re, in relationship to the people that followed him. So what these will be about is, what do you need next in your Christian development? Look at the map. What do you need next? Go get it. How's that? Not too complicated, is it? See where you are in your life. Look at those spiritual development options. See what you need to add. I need to know more about prayer. I need to know more about reading my Bible. Or I need to know more about serving. Or I need to know about how do I, how do I reach out to someone who doesn't know Christ. How do I... All those things. All that stuff will be there. And what you need to know about uh, is going to come along in that class mix. And you just jump from one to the other to the other. It'll be two weeks or four weeks or two weeks or four weeks. It's, it's not designed to build deep community. It's designed to be... Almost like small group mentoring 
interactive sessions around what you need next. Okay? You excited? Uh, maybe I'm carrying all the excitement for all of us. Are you excited? I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be great. You're, you're incredible if you get that excited over discipleship. Because uh, it's not an event. It's slow. Isaiah 62, Luke 18, starting a new series today called Conversations on Prayer. And I, I just, I just want to talk to you. I just want to talk to you about prayer. I want to talk to you about... You, you saw the bulletin. That... It seems, it seems simple, but that conversation that you have with God, I mean, if you're honest, hasn't that really challenged you? Sitting in a place, standing in a place, talking to someone that you can't see. Reaching out to someone that you're almost trying to pick up. You're almost trying to pick up on your radar with a sixth sense. You can't taste. You can't generally physically hear. You can't see. You can't touch. Your physical faculties don't help you in this conversation with God. You, you have lived, your, until, the, until you start to pray the first time, you have lived your entire life in your physical faculties. And, and how you have learned to navigate life like helps you not at all when you go to pray. But, you're, but, but this conversation with God, this ongoing conversation where you're supposed to, we call it prayer, you're supposed to both speak and hear. It, it, boy, it's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, it really is. I, I, I feel like I've, I've ran into a wall on it many times through my life. What I want to do in this series, the next four weeks, is basically do two things. Talk about what is prayer, what is it, and, and why should you do it? And, and we'll look at it like that. Normally, if I was doing a series like this, I would share the message I'm going to share today at the end of the series. I want to start with it. The reason I'll start with this message is because it ties into our emphasis this month that we worked on last week and the Sunday nights. Tonight, I want you to make plans to be here. Suzanne Cox is speaking and we're ministering on healing. Every Sunday night and miracles and healing. Last Sunday morning, how many of you enjoyed that? That was good. If you don't react, I'll bring him back and you'll react. I just thought, uh, I sat there and took about three pages of notes. And I thought, you know what? This is absolutely an incredible foundation for what God is doing this month. I'm doing this message today because I want to I build on this idea. Prayer directly relates to healing and miracles. All right, the enemy is attacked, something's going on, you're sick, you have a challenge, you have an issue, you need a miracle in your life. Well, that has everything to do with prayer, doesn't it? And so this morning, as we start this series on prayer, I want to ask you, and, and look, I, 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 you know, sometimes we tend to ask trick questions in church. You know, we, we, we ask you, but we really want you to answer the way we want you to answer, not, not necessarily tell the truth. 
What I want you to do is tell the truth. And, and I, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, but I want you to tell the truth. Not what your confession is, not what your prayer is, not what your belief or dream is, but I want you to tell me where you are right now. Last week as we prayed, how many of you, you know, you have proof you have a verifiable miracle in your body or life Somehow last week, God miraculously touched you and you, you see it. It's not a feeling. You see it. You know it. Something's moved. Something's changed. The doctor reports come in. The thing that was there is gone. How many of you would say that? Just lift your hand. How many of you would say that? What, what happened? What was yours? So, so he discovered something was wrong he didn't know about. And that's, that's come to light. All right. Anybody else? All right. Anybody else? Going once. How many of you prayed over a situation last week and it hasn't changed? How many of you are there? I'm there. I blew my knee out playing basketball and it still hurts. Lift your hand up. Okay. All right. You're still dealing with it. As long as I've been a Christian, prayer has been somewhat of a mystery to me. I've often wondered why God requires prayer. I mean, why, do, why, don't, we just, why don't we just obey? Why doesn't obedience just do it? Why, why doesn't obedience just... Why, did, why in obedience just the door to work, to work the work that God wants to do? But there are some things that are only brought by prayer. I, I think the thing is, God doesn't want to grow automatons who just plug in a formula and out comes the answer. God becomes, he sort of becomes a cosmic slot machine where we just pull the lever and we always win. I don't think God's interested in being lowered below human level. God is God. And, and I think God is in the thing for the relationship, not the answer. I think sometimes we're in it for the answer. He's in it for the relationship. Maybe because God realizes our, our struggle with our own motives, our mixed motives, maybe sometimes God withholds some things until the relationship deepens. Maybe God says, I, I've been wanting you in deeper relationship with me, and somehow this thing that's going on in your life has held you there. So maybe, I don't know, maybe let's hold it there for a, another week. I'm not saying God hurts us. God doesn't hurt us. God doesn't, God doesn't do harm to us. God loves us. But He loves us enough to see past the temporal into the eternal, and He has a different value system than we do. He loves you and I on a way that we don't understand. He loves us on a way that we can't comprehend. Early in my walk with God, I encountered a philosophy of prayer that went something like this. The most effective way to pray is to take the issue that you have to God, pray about it, believe that it's done, and you don't have to pray about it again. And to pray about it twice would be a lack of faith. Have you heard this? This approach, 
I was so impressed as a teenage Christian, a new Christian with that approach. I thought, yeah, because when you, you always, we always struggle with this thing. How do I believe God? People say, just believe God. Yeah. How do I do that? Like, how do I start? You just go, you know, do I grunt? How do I, do I lift my hands higher? Do I jump when I worship? Well, that was four inches off the ground. Last week was three. Believe in God now. How, how, do, I, how do I believe God? Th- this approach seems to have a resolution and a stout faith that's uncompromising. The only problem is when you hold it up to Scripture, you see holes in it. You see the weakness of it. I understand this thinking. I want to have faith too. I want to, I want to just, I want to just believe God and that be done and it'd be done. All the issues of life just be done. But if you're not careful, you can fall into fatalistic thinking. God told me to pray and I got a lot going on in my life right now. I prayed once and I believe God and I'm done and it can become fatalistic thinking. God said my part was prayer. I did my part. He's got to do his part and whatever the outcome is must have been his will anyway. You can lock, you can lock into, that's real, that's really Islamic. That's an Islamic approach to faith. Fatalism. If it is the will of Allah, it'll happen. So whatever happens is the will of Allah. And you can lock into that fatalistic thinking. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. I want you to look at that verse with me. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. Look at what you hear the prophet say about prayer. I've posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Those are strange directions. They were to give themselves no rest or to give God no rest until he fulfilled his will on the earth. It's like Isaiah's almost speaking in a different language. We can barely understand it. It's so foreign to our modern lives. Now, as parents, this sounds strange to us. Because <laughs> as parents, we say, stop nagging me. Mama, can I go? Stop. Stop asking. Uh, my kids have a request machete. You know what I'm saying? They just ask for stuff. They already said no. Oh, this is something different. It's the same thing, turn different. It's like a lawyer, turn different. Gosh, who trains them? If, there, if there's a case to be made for the depravity of the human from birth, it's probably right there somewhere. There's a depravity about that. Yesterday, it was about, I don't know, 95 degrees, you know, with a 100% chance of humidity. We were out running around, and we got, oh, I'm just going to tell you, Jesus was in this. We got Hawaiian shaved ice. It was fabulous. Incredible. I saw that, and I said, on the sixth day, God made Hawaiian shaved ice, and it was good. And we put our lips on that thing, and I thought, oh. 
we were walking around in Staples, you know, uh, going to the back-to-school shopping list. Well, tax-free day, don't do that. Well, so we were there, walking around, and we're drinking these things. And, and, you know, you can tell when something's really good because there becomes this inner family competition because we know somehow if we finish ours first, we have some right to the one who has theirs left. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, So we're... You know, going down with them. I was distracted by what was around me. Of course, the two boys. I got an 8 and 12-year-old. Boom! Somehow they manned it where they simultaneously finished. Not one lick was left in either cup. So nobody can get any. It's a standoff. So then the first, then they look around and begin to look at mom and dad and say, which one's weaker? <laughs> so they turn to mom and, and they talk her. And go, we we're dying. We have a bite. It's like a pack of hyena grabbed it and shredded papers flying at the top. So after they cannibalized hers, then they look at me and say, Hey, hey Dad, can we have yours? No, you can't have mine. What's wrong with you? 95 degrees, 100% humidity. You can't have mine. Thirsty. Come on, Dad. Just do, I do, what flavor is that in there? Pineapple. I didn't have pineapple. I didn't have pineapple. All right, come here. Of course, then the other one has been gone for an hour, appears, just like, like materializes, like Star Trek zoomed in. I didn't have a bite. You gave him a bite. You didn't give me a bite. All right, here. I, I wish I'd have got that flavor. That's good. I'd have rather had that. Well, it's, uh, can we have it? No. Can I have it? No. Well, what about me? Can I have it? No. We have a rule in our house. The rule is you ask one time and Jesus is coming the second time. You ask one time and whatever the answer is, that's it. Well, this was the third time. So, all right, Jesus has already waited patiently two times past the one. You ask one time. You know, just in our relationship with our own kids, you can just get tired. I mean, we have the one-question rule for a reason. You can just get tired of being badgered and asked and, and requested on. But somehow or another, apparently, God doesn't feel that way. Somehow God's not like us. Somehow God's not like that at all. We get tired, but God doesn't get tired. He says, give me no rest. Don't stop asking. Don't stop praying. Pray for your family. Pray for yourself. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your church. Pray for your community. Pray for God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Don't give me rest. I don't want a break. Psalm 121, 3 and 4 says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You can count on one thing. God hears. He's not asleep and he's not slow. It feels that way to me sometimes. Does it to you? Sometimes I feel like you're really taking your time on this. 
It's because my view of life's about that big and his is about like that big. It's because I don't see what he sees. As we pray and intercede for God's will, we're to continue to press him until the answer is given. That's faith. How, how do I believe God? How do I trust? How do, how do I, how do I just stand in belief? It doesn't take faith to pray once and well, well, that settles it and whatever happens is God's will and it's over. That doesn't take faith. Let me tell you what takes faith. What takes faith is for you to walk back in this room this morning and say, I prayed last week and cried and my life was touched and I was moved, but I gotta be honest with you, I'm still dealing. I'm still dealing with it. It's easier to say, well, God's gonna do what He's gonna do. I tried. Or it's easy to just push it out of the way and say, I don't have to resolve that. I don't know what to do now. Faith is when you say, it's still here. God, it's me again. I'm back. I'm back, Lord. It's not resolved. That's faith. How do you stand in belief? (laughs) You pray again. What does it mean? I'm going to nag God until he has his way. I'm going to nag his ears off until he gets what he wants. Until he gets what he wants. I'm going to stay after him. Of all the mysteries in the prayer world, I think the greatest to me is why is it we have to pray about the same thing over and over and over? I don't know. I mean, I can guess, but I don't, I can't claim to you that I know. I do know if you don't pray about the same things over and over, you've never experienced the tears or the joy of prayer. Somehow laboring over that thing before God releases both, I don't, in a way, godly sorrow. The Bible says that Jesus was a man that was well acquainted with sorrow. Boy, that's a good altar call to have, isn't it? How would you like some more sorrow in your life? Would you stand if you'd like more sorrow in your life? That's, they just don't come piling out for that, do they? But somehow, when I labor over the injustices of life in God's presence, my heart starts to break like His does. If I pray one time in faith and believe and that's it, I don't, I don't feel what He feels. But when I say, God... How long are you going to let this go on? Lord, this is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong for somebody to be mistreated this way. It's wrong for life to turn out this way. It's wrong for someone to suffer like this. God, come on. Then you start to feel what God feels. God says, yes, yes. That's what I meant when I said, see that tree? Don't eat from it. Because I knew the hell that would be unleashed in people's lives. Now you're starting to feel what I feel in my soul. And somehow that divine connection is important. And then when you pray over something, and one day the answer comes. There's a joy. There's a joy in that. There's a joy in it. We can turn to a father who loves to hear our voice. As much as at times... Our children, we go, shh, just shh. But what about what? Shh. I have a word for you. Shh. 
God's not like that. Somehow God rejoices in hearing our voice. You don't have to learn a secret code. There's not a formula to punch in. Well, it's, it, well, it's a conversation, isn't it? It's a conversation. It's where you're talking to Him. Look at, look at um, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And, and I want to I quickly run through this story. Luke 18. This is the story of the widow who came to a judge that the Bible says was ungodly. What I want you to do, uh, it, this story is not a parable, uh, it's not an allegory, it's a parable. An allegory uh, is, is a group of symbols that represent something else. This story is not an allegory, this story is a parable. A parable is a story with truth in it. The details in a, in a parable aren't really that important. I mean, you, can't, you, can, you don't want to make everything in the story mean something. And this is what God is saying, you know, through the widow. And this is what, it's not like that. There's, there's truth inside it, and the details aren't all that important. I'll show you. As I read the story, I want you to be thinking about how the widow and the judge are not like us. Not how they're like, an allegory would tell you how they're like us. I want you to think about how they're not like us. Luke chapter 18, then Jesus told his disciples the parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men... Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let me show you how the widow and the judge are not like us. The widow's not like us. She was completely helpless in every way. And her only means was to turn to a judge that could absolutely care less about her. You and I have a father that cares everything about us. We're not like her. We're not like that. The judge was not like God. He didn't help her out of his goodness. He helped her out of his weariness. He was sick of her. He said, if I don't help her, she'll keep coming back. That judge isn't like God. God doesn't help you because he's sick of you. God helps you and he says, if this unjust judge will do that, how much more will a righteous God intervene on your behalf? He'll do more than the judge will do for the right reason. Now, if you're taking notes, I want to make three quick comments. Look at verse 3. You say, you say in your mind, the devil's after me. He's attacking my family. He's attacking me. He's attacking my finances. He's attacking my health. What does verse 3 from this story teach us about, about this whole engagement in miracles? What does verse 3 teach us? About the attack of the enemy and God's will on it. What verse 3 teaches us is 
Prayer delivers us from the adversary. If you're taking notes, you get, you get struck down, you get overwhelmed, you get stressed, you get filled with fear, you, your body's attacked, your finances are attacked, your marriage is attacked. Let me tell you where to go. Run to prayer. Run to prayer. Prayer, prayer is the thing that delivers you from your adversary. The Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the Lord's Prayer. God has an answer to the attack of the enemy in your life and mine. It's prayer. I pray to God that one day I would be discipled, trained, mature enough that when the attack comes into my life, my default setting is to run to prayer. How many times do we take it somewhere else? Take it to email. Take it to conversation. Take it to a piece of paper. Take it to, 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 to worry. Take it to 2 o'clock in the morning in fear. How many times do we cycle through until we go, you know, maybe I should pray about this. God gives us prayer for deliverance. Verse 7, here's the second thing. I've been praying about this, listen to me, but I have no answer. What does this teach us? If the unjust judge will answer, how much more will the righteous king answer? What does it teach us? I've been praying about this. The answer always comes to those who keep praying. I want to say that again, and I want to emphasize one word. The answer always always comes to those who keep praying. The word is always. 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 She was praying about some injustice, but ultimately it was God's will. Now here's the last one. In verse 8, and here's what ties it all together. Jesus says, But when I come and I look around the earth, when I come to Kingwood, when I come to your home, when I come to your life, when I come and sit across that chair from you in the prayer closet, will I find faith on earth? Will I find faith on earth? It's a good question, isn't it? How does God measure faith? It's kind of an invisible thing. I didn't know there was a tape measure for that. How does God measure faith? Let me tell you one way God measures faith. Repeated prayer. Repeated prayer. When I bring it, and I bring it again, and I bring it again, and I bring it again, and I quit, and then I start again, and I bring it again, and I quit, and I start again. How many of you have ever quit and started again? I've done it a lot. And start again and bring it back and bring it back and bring it back. When, when Jesus returns, will he find the kind of faith that drives a person into repeated prayer? Just keep praying. You have an advocate. You have a friend, the Bible says, that is not slow and does not sleep. But it takes, it takes, it takes faith to drive you into bringing that thing back. We had one person raise their hand and say, God did a verifiable miracle. What that means is, it's time to pray. 
It's not time to give up. It's not time to say, well, that was a good service, but it didn't work. That's not what this is about. It's not about did it work or not. It's about faith. It's not about did it work. It's about prayer. It's not about did it work. It's about has God's will been done on earth like it is in heaven. That's what it's about. Has that happened? Then pray again. I want you to stand with me right where you are.